The age of the personal check is coming to a close. While tools such as Interact eTransfer have largely taken their place for personal use, many businesses are still reliant on checks. In fact, 54% of businesses believe they are spending too much time on payment processing. What will it take for companies to finally ditch the check? Learn more at newsroom.interact.ca. Thank you so much for being here in the Canada 2020 studio. Um, we uh, have a, a great session today with the Honorable Bernadette Jordan. Uh, it's now my great pleasure to introduce uh, to the stage uh, a good partner of Canada 2020. Um, uh, Chima has uh, worked with us and uh, is no stranger to politics and to local politics, federal politics. Lots of politics. Shima uh, uh, Kendram uh, is uh, with Shaw, and he'll be uh, introducing uh, the Honourable Minister to the stage today. Shima. My name is Chiman Kendram. I am the uh, Vice President of Government Relations from Shaw, based in Calgary. This is my sixth time to Ottawa since January, and the weather has not gotten better. <laughs> now, we had a blizzard in Calgary last week, so I shouldn't really complain, but hopefully I hear spring is coming. Um, you know, Shaw Communications operates an extensive network, uh, primarily in Western Canada, where we offer, we connect to Canadians uh, through our fiber uh, uh, network. We also own Freedom Mobile, which is um, in Alberta, British Columbia, and Ontario, and proud to say that in, in the spirit of increasing connectivity, we are expanding to 15 new markets and more rural areas in Canada this year, reaching an extra 1.3 million Canadians. It's a real pleasure for me to be able to introduce Minister uh, uh, Jordan. This is, we just met uh, a few minutes ago. Uh, Minister, uh, Minister Jordan was elected to represent the Nova Scotia riding of South Shore St. Margaret. And in 2015, she was soon elected uh, by her colleagues to chair the Atlantic Caucus, which of course was all of the MPs in Atlantic Canada, and uh, uh, which is a great honor. And then prior to being appointed to the ministry earlier this year, uh, she served as the parliamentary secretary to Minister, uh, Minister uh, Gould of Democratic Institutions. So I'm quite interested and excited to hear what uh, uh, Minister Jordan has to say, and I believe in short introductions, so please come to the stage. Thank you so much for being here, Minister. Well, thank you, Chima, for the introduction. The last time I was at an event, they introduced me as Bernadette Peters. And somebody won't, some of you won't know who that is, so I suggest you Google it. I neither sing nor dance, so. <laughs> yes, uh, but it is great to be here today, and uh, before we begin, I would like to acknowledge that we're on the uh, traditional unceded territory of the Algonquin people. And it's so good to be here at Canada 2020. For more than a decade, Canada 2020 has been a catalyst and a convener for big ideas and policies that have shaped the political fabric of our country, from trade to AI, to energy and the economy, indigenous resource development, the future of agri-foods, healthcare, pharmacare, Canada 2020 is not afraid to take on the big issues. All of these subjects impact Canadians in every corner of our country, and that's why I'm so happy to be here today. So thank you so much for the information. These issues and many more connect Canadians. My role as the new and first Minister for Rural Economic Development is also to think about the issues that literally connect Canadians. Canada is vast and faces some unique challenges, and with that comes unique opportunities. 
Here in this room, most of you have access to the world at your fingertips. Students who are sitting in class right now have access to information I could only dream of having when I was in school. <laughs> and businesses can now start up and have global reach. However, there's a large part of this country, a large part of our economy, which lack these opportunities. Despite being more interconnected than ever before, many parts of rural Canada have been left behind. Connectivity is crucial. It's an element our government's working to growing the middle class, and we want to build an economy where everyone has access to the same opportunities. Today, we're discussing important technical matters around the future of connectivity and how technology such as 5G can transform our lives. For instance, we know that 5G will be able to enable us to create new technologies that we haven't even imagined yet. It will spur innovations in health, transportation, entertainment, machine-to-machine -machine communications, security, just to name a few. As a government, we're investing heavily in innovation to ensure that no Canadian or Canadian community is left out of our digital future. We're working with provincial, territorial, partners, industry to ensure that Canada remains on the front lines of the technological innovation. I want to speak today about connectivity and its impacts on our rural and remote communities and how the absence of connectivity is leaving many of those communities disconnected from the global economy. When I was appointed earlier this year, the Prime Minister asked me to develop a rural economic development strategy to help address the challenges and build upon the opportunities that exist in rural Canada. In pursuit of that strategy, I've traveled across the country, listening firsthand to the views of rural Canadians. My travels have taken me from coast to coast to coast, where I've met with rural communities engaged with folks on the ground. I've met with farmers and miners and small business owners. I've heard from teachers and nurses and toured manufacturing facilities. Across the country, many rural Canadians care for aging parents who need our help to, make, <clears throat> to get them to hospitals and to doctor's appointments and in cities can be hours away. Many are raising children in rural communities only to see them leave for other parts of the country because they can't find work and they lack the same opportunities their parents may have had just a generation ago. Youth migration can deplete the economy and the spirit of any small community. Each community is different and faces unique challenges, but rural communities also possess unique strength and we can help them reimagine new opportunities for future generations. From my own family experience and from my recent travels, I have seen how rural Canadians make our country more vibrant, prosperous, and wonderful places to live. I've seen what an enormous economic potential these communities have. Though small in population, rural communities account for almost 30% of our country's GDP. They're the drivers of Canada's natural resource and agricultural economies, supported by dedicated workforces and citizens that are deeply committed to where they live. Accordingly, there is no one-size-fits-all solution to the challenges facing rural Canadians. But there is one clear resounding point of agreement. We can't succeed unless rural communities have the same access to opportunities as those who live in the city. Although 97% of urban households have access to high-speed internet, only 37% of rural households can say the same thing. Some rural Canadian businesses don't even have the digital connections they need to use Interact machines. Their customers have to pay in cash. Many farmers with multi-million dollars or agribusinesses still rely on, on landlines and on fax machines to run their operations. And provincial and federal governments still provide many essential services over the phone so that rural Canadians can access them. In short, all of us here, indeed all Canadians, know that access to reliable high-speed internet is no longer a luxury. It's a necessity for success in the modern economy. 
Young entrepreneurs in particular simply won't consider staying home or moving to rural communities from elsewhere if it means struggling to function with slow connectivity. This perpetuates a skills gap that is affecting many rural industries. It means economic opportunity is going unrealized and rural incomes are reduced. And even our attempts, attempts to address these problems require internet connectivity. Consider the College of the North Atlantic in Newfoundland and Labrador, which has developed a unique distributed learning program designed to address, uh, to address precisely a skills gap that we're talking about. Students from 300 communities can access more than 200 courses and programs online, including to develop digital skills, like systems engineering and software development. This means that local companies can grow and expand while their employees, families, and communities are not forced to develop skills elsewhere. But none of this works without students having access to high-speed internet. I've been hearing about these kinds of challenges from every single community that I've visited. We need to solve this problem. That's why in Budget 2019, our government is making an ambitious new commitment to ensure that over time, every single household and business in Canada has access to high-speed and internet and wireless connectivity. No matter how rural, no matter how remote, the task we have set ourselves isn't easy. Given the size of this country and the vast distances we are dealing with, the challenge is, to say the least, significant. We recognize that smaller populations spread across the country make it more challenging for the private sector to build and operate the digital superhighways that make high-speed internet possible. That's why today's discussion is such a timely one. The technologies that will enable us to connect every corner of our country are still being developed. Our government is investing in tomorrow's technologies like 5G and low-Earth orbit satellites. Those are so important for the, for the connectivity of the future. The government has, connect, uh, has committed $1.7 billion in new broadband funding through the new Universal Broadband Fund. The CRTC is providing $750 million in additional funding, and we're working with provinces, territories, and industry partners to leverage even more of those resources. These initiatives are new, but our commitment to broadband infrastructure is not. In 2016, we launched the $500 million Connect to Innovate program, which connected over 900 communities. This includes 190 Indigenous communities. And to put that in perspective, it was 20,000 kilometers of fiber. For example, we're working with partners to bring high-speed internet to over 41 communities in rural Saskatchewan. We're laying over 880 kilometers of cable to connect five new fly-in communities in northern Ontario. And these are only a couple of examples of the progress that we're making. But these are the types of things we need to do if we're going to be successful. I think we can all agree that high-speed internet and wireless connectivity are essential tools that all Canadians need to do business, pursue an education, and build strong, healthy, thriving communities. I believe that building our nation's high-speed internet is as important as building our roads. and has the power to be transformational as the National Electric Grid was in the 19th century. We're on the cusp of seeing great advancements that will help those in rural Canada, things that include electronic health applications that will allow doctors to monitor patients from their homes and provide critical care to remote and hard-to-access locations, faster 911 emergency responses with the help of drone aircraft, the broad ad <coughs> adoption of precision agriculture techniques that will allow farmers to understand every inch of their land, increasing their yields and their global competitiveness. These are awesome, game-changing innovations to contemplate and all very much part of our government's plan. 
but it'll take strategic, coordinated investments to ensure that these technologies are available to all Canadians. If Canada's economy is to reach its full potential, we must use the technological advancements at our disposal to take advantage of the incredible economic opportunity that currently sits untapped in rural Canada. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for your remarks and for being here today. Um, I want to I want to dive in. You have such an ambitious agenda and such an important job, um, and not a long time to do it between now and when we go back to the polls. Mm -hmm. I don't want to get into the politics of it, but I do want to ask about triaging and priorities between now and, and sort of you know end of end of mandate or seeking a new mandate. Um, how are you prioritizing? What are, what are your focus areas right now? So right now we're, um, ro we rolled out Connect to Innovate in, shovels are in the ground now for those. We also had in uh, budget 2019, another $85 million top up on Connect to Innovate. So those were actually applications that were submitted, were good applications, but there wasn't the funding for. So the, we'll be able to prioritize those as well. So that will connect even more communities. Um, we're looking at how we're gonna roll out the Universal Broadband Fund and how that's going to actually uh, continue to connect. You know, we've set ambitious targets for ourselves. We've set ambitious goals. 90% um, of Canadians by 2022, 95 by 2026, and 100% by 2030. That is ambitious. It's very ambitious. <laughs> so I mean, my next we can't wait. Well, so we my, can't wait. Uh, my next question was going to be about how central improved connectivity is to this particular government's innovation agenda. It seems that a lot of things flow through that, and connectivity is a big bottleneck. We, I mean, connectivity is 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 the heart. There's, you cannot be an innovative country if you don't have connectivity. You, you know, I mean, it's it's part of making sure that rural communities can participate in the digital economy. I mean, I myself come from a uh, a very strong fishing community. I I have the largest lobster fishing industry in the country, and they're selling right around the world. But if they can't connect. How are they able to, you know, um, participate? And we have to make sure that that if you're in rural Canada, you have the same opportunities as people in urban Canada. Well, it's funny. Um, David McGinnis, our, our senior fellow, who's leading our Canada Food Brand Project, um, which I highly encourage you to check out. Um, we were in Olds, Alberta. Oh, Olds is amazing. Oh, so Olds done is some great stuff. Olds talks like they're going to take over the world with agri-food. Like they're they're <laughs> they're highly ambitious, and it's great. Um, we did a roundtable there, and one of the uh, a, a farmer, a, a, it was a gentleman who, who ran a business, said, "I have a ten million dollar a year business. Um, would you go to downtown Toronto and talk to someone who ran a ten million dollar a year business and said that they had to do it on dial-up? Exactly. Like, no, you wouldn't. Exactly. Um, and that was a very interesting framing device for 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 us, and I know for for David as well. Um, and Olds built their own network. They did. They're they're <laughs> like. By their own Very bootstraps, it's, it's really innovative. Yep. Um, well, let's 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 talk about some specific technologies. You mentioned five G. You mentioned uh, LEOs. Um, what specifically, and is there something else on that list that I'm missing that's it, that excites you right now? That sort of gets you fired up and says we're going to meet our goals. Oh, there's so much that's exciting that's coming, uh, you know, in the next few years, and and I think LEOs are to me one of the big excitements because. Can you do an explainer? Okay, for people so a LEO on, is on a low Earth orbit satellite. 
Um, and satellite technology is what's going to connect the north and the, high, the the Arctic. You know, those are the places that are the hardest to reach places. They're the there. There's no way you're going to get fiber into, you know, the the far north. So Leos are are, are the best way to connect the north. Um, and the difference between what we have now in satellite technology and the Leos is that the the Leos are low Earth orbit, so the latency isn't is, isn't a problem like it is now with satellite technology. So we're developing a technology for the future, and I think that's one of the really important things about what we're doing with the universal broadband strategy is that we're actually developing. Um, you know, it, we've heard for I'll go back up. We've heard for years. You know, oh, every government puts money into internet. The problem is is that by the time it's in, it's outdated. And you know, you're, you know, we would have been happy with five one speeds, you know, five upload, one download in the past, and now we're, we're, our goal is 50-10. And I think the difference is, is that we're building this for the future. We're building this to make sure that this, does, this isn't obsolete in five years. That's why we're investing in Leos. That's why you know, 5G is so important. Because we, you know, I mean, we're developing, we're working in doing research in technologies that, don't even, that we don't even know is going to happen yet, which is really exciting. And I think Leos are, to me, really exciting because I, I, I look at the North and the challenges that they face um, with everything from healthcare and what it's going to mean to them to have access to high-speed internet. And I think that you know that's one of the reasons that I'm I'm particularly excited about that one. So l let's dive into access then, because um, the the very nature of emerging technologies it's the story of er early adopters, you know, in localized areas, right? It's um, you know certain cities or, or, or communities, usually big cities, um, that you know they're the test cases and, and and the technology sort of ripples out that way. What we're talking about here is ensuring equal access and in sort of forcing the issue. Um, how, you know, I imagine that comes up a lot in your conversations with industry. Um, what's how's what's your approach on the the access issue um, around some of these emerging tech? Well, I think more so than the approach, I think it's the attitude. And it, the attitude is is that because you're in rural, you shouldn't be disadvantaged. You should have access to the exact same things as people in urban centers. People who want to live in rural communities should be able to do so without having to be disadvantaged in what they can access for services. Um, and high speed is such a is such a huge part of that. You know, we have everything from, from communities losing uh, physicians, losing their youth, um, schools who are... You know, okay, in my community, we have um, schools who are giving kids iPads because that's the, the way to go in the future. You have to do your homework on iPads, but as soon as they leave the school, they don't have access, so they can't do homework. You know, I mean, we can't have people disadvantaged simply because of where they live. And it's not that it's, and, and I've heard, you know, I've heard the arguments from people that say, well, if you choose to live in rural areas, you know, you have to take the good with the bad. You have all of the great things about living in rural. but. This is, this is about economy. This is about making sure that people can grow and thrive and make sure that we have access to things that, that we need to, to continue to have a rural, rural communities. Um, yeah, I, I was, I was going to ask you, you know, we talk about connectivity as an economic development driver. That's government speak. When you are in, <laughs> it's government, it's, yeah, it's think tank speak. Um, <laughs> when you are, uh, and you spend a lot of time on the road, I spent um, a lot of time on the road. We I mean, spent a lot of time on the road. Um, what is the promise of you know better access, higher speeds? Like, what does that mean, just on a human level, uh, to you know the, your constituents or people that you're like? It, yeah. It means that if I go into the wool shop in Digby, that I can use my Interact card. 
it means that they say, okay, we'll let you use this, but let's hope the phone doesn't ring because they're still on dial-up. And some of you may not even know what dial-up is. But, and, and I remember actually having this conversation before I was elected when we had a, um, you know, we, we, we had a discussion about infrastructure and I said, can we make sure that we talk about infrastructure you can't see as well as what you do? I said, I have communities still on dial-up. And the guy that was taking notes, his head came up and he looked at me and he went, what's dial-up? You know, that's the kind of thing we're talking about is that there are communities, you know, that, that can't access. And, and it's, it, I'm taking it down to the very basic level of the shopper in the store. But when you look at things, like I said, like my fishermen who want to sell to China and have to stand in a certain point on the wharf with their cell phone and kind of hold it like this so that they can make sure that they get a connection because they know exactly where the signal is, that's not acceptable. Um, let's talk about some other sectors. Uh, you know, you're, you're not the Minister of Agriculture, but it obviously factors huge into to what you do. Um, what, are, what are some ways in which that we don't obviously think of that improved connectivity infrastructure benefits sectors that you may interact with or touch on? So I'm not the Minister of Agriculture, Fisheries, Tourism, uh, Small Business. Every sector affects rural Canada. Almost every department in government affects rural Canada. Defense, uh, you know, I, I could go down the labor, every one of them. Um, so that's why we're taking a whole of government approach to this. You know, I, I often say that this is, we've done a lot for rural Canada. There's lots of different moving parts. There's lots of pieces of the puzzle, and my job has been to put the puzzle together, is to make sure that we're taking into account every department when we're looking at how we build this economic strategy, because it does impact every department that we have. Um, you, you touched about, you talked about other levels of government and orders of government. Um, so it's tricky. Uh, there, there are a lot of areas where the current federal government and other orders of government right now disagree, <coughs> climate policy in particular. Um, how are things on the connectivity file? Because what it, when it comes to connectivity infrastructure, it, it's, it, it's not just about what the federal go government does. A lot of it has to do with municipalities exactly. and, and like really on the ground, local level. Um, so what is what have your uh, what have your interactions been like with, uh, with the provinces, municipalities, and, and other levels of government on this file? Are you all rowing in the same direction? So I will say two things to this. First of all, this has to be everyone on the same, everyone on board, because you know we know that the federal government can't be responsible for all of it. We are doing the best we can. We're making sure, but we are working with provincial and territorial partners as well as municipalities, indigenous groups, stakeholder groups. The, the interesting thing is, is that this seems to be the file that everyone's in agreement on. Um, you know, I've talked to people right across the country and they recognize that this is a priority for them. A lot of governments, provincial governments, have already put money in their budgets to deal with the connectivity. Ontario, Nova Scotia, Quebec, um, you know, we're seeing it right across the country that, that this is something that Canadians want. It's not a political issue. It's, it's definitely something that they feel that they need to have in rural communities. So I think this is one, like you say, that we're all rowing in the same direction. Questions out there. Thank you. Um, in your speech, you mentioned that only 37% of rural communities had access to high-speed internet. Does that statistic include indigenous communities? Okay. That that's all rural communities. Um, and you know, I mean, I think it's really important to to note the difference that I said high-speed internet because a lot of places have connections. That a lot of places have internet. I have internet in my house. Don't try and get on it at seven o'clock at night. 
It's just not going to happen. We don't have access to high speed. So, and it is right across the country. So that 37% does take in indigenous communities. Yeah. Let's let's follow up on while we have another question. Uh, I just want to follow up on on indigenous communities and in working. Um, one of the conversations that we're going to be having next week is around uh, indigenous economic reconciliation, um, and a big part of that is um, <clears throat> is highlighting indigenous led business and. Um, so I'm just I'm wondering in your travels, have there been some case studies or uh, some stories that you've come across when you're working with indigenous communities where, where connectivity's kind of been a key that's unlocked something? Uh, and a lot of the times it's it's connectivity has been the the key that they don't have, right. and that they need. Um, those are kind of the things that you know. I mean, when when we were in the Paw in Manitoba. And we were uh, with the, the Cree Nation there. You know, they talked about how it will be so much better for them if they had connectivity and how they could access, you know, better health care, better um, their economies, particularly uh, their growth. It's it's all it all ties together, you know. But you know, in in terms of is it's the key that's unlocked something. A lot of them are still trying to find the key. Hi. Uh, first of all, I have to appreciate that you are using so much technical terms. You know, I'm a very technical person. My question will be not political, kind of. Uh, you, uh, you men uh, I have a political question too. <laughs> Let's start with the concretes. Uh, you mentioned in one sentence the low orbiting satellites and 5G. Uh, for me, in terms of the deployment, those are two totally different technologies. Uh, the low-orbiting satellites are global technology, has a global reach, there are global players involved. 5G is, uh, and also this is something which uh, can be deployed once the technology matures and the money is there, it can be deployed almost simultaneously, there are some signs on the sky that it will not, oh, which means it will be globally deployed, Canada may use it, right? We are not the main players because of the costs involved and right. because the 5G is a very cost-intensive technology because it requires a lot of infrastructure distributed across, across the, the area, right? You, you say there is no fiber to be laid to the further north communities. There is no 5G without the fiber. As a matter of fact, this is technology which will be reasonably deployed in the high density areas. Right. I don't see it. So my question is, are you looking, your government, whoever, on some middle ground technologies like, I don't know, hovering planes, hovering blimps, whatever, something in the air, wireless, which can be okay. deployed more locally, faster and a significant low cost? So I think, I, I thank you for your question. I think one of the things I would say to that is that we're looking at, at a number of different solutions. Um, you know, the goal is to make sure that we connect Canadians. And there is no silver bullet that's gonna connect everyone the same. We have to look at different, different ways that different communities are best connected, whether it's with Leos, whether it's with fiber, whether it's with towers. You know, there'll be lots of different uh, discussions as we go forward on how we're going to develop those technologies, what we're gonna do. I will say with regards to the Leos and the 5Gs, we are investing in making sure that we have the infrastructure in place to uh, accommodate those things, because we know that they're an extremely important part of what we're gonna be doing in the future. Oh, well, I'm, I'm from the country, from. Uh from the Ottawa Valley, uh, Campbell's Bay, that area. And my village actually was 
well, when I was young, it was about two, say maybe 500 people. But now there's almost no, I mean, like the store is gone, the church is closed, everything is closed. Mm -hmm. Are you trying to encourage uh, people by having um, connectivity uh, by the internet, are you trying to encourage people to come, uh, like in China, the movement is from the rural into the urban. Are you trying to encourage people to come to the cities or to go back to the country? I, I think that one of the things, I would, how I would address that is that we want people to be able to live wherever they want. And there are a lot of people who would actually love to live in rural Canada, who would like to move to rural Canada. I know in my area where I live, there's a lot of younger people who want to stay, uh, who want to move into the area, but they need to have the connectivity in order to do it. You know, businesses, in order to grow, you know, you don't want to see them leaving a rural area because they don't have the technology that they need uh, in order to grow. So I, I think it's, it's just more about allowing people to access what they need and allowing people to make the choice. Whether they choose to live in urban or rural, shouldn't, it, it, it shouldn't be determined by a service that they're provided. They should be able to live wherever they want and be able to access what they need in order to live there. I think the general movement, though, is from the country to the, all around the world. Generally, that is the way that people do move. Is, and, and I mean, that, that started in, you know, with the industrial age. Um, and we do have a lot of young people who want to leave rural communities, go into cities, experience it. But we also have a lot of people who want to come back. And, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's something that they, they, if they, if they want to come back, they should be able to. I think that's the and best way. Remove that can. barrier. Yeah, yeah. You want to move, yeah. The, remove the barriers to what's stopping people from living in rural communities. Your government is really to be commended on doing such an ambitious plan. I mean, $1.7 is a lot of money. Uh, my question is this. There's not just one barrier. Once we've got it all in there, how do we make it affordable? It's one thing for it to be available, but if you have to sell a kidney to get it, uh, what do we do about that? Yeah, and, and I think that uh, uh, the Minister of Innovation, Science, and Economic Development has also already uh, uh, asked that the CRTC look at affordability of plans and how things are going forward. We recognize that's a problem. It's something I've heard about in communities right across the country. It will be part of my economic development strategy as I go forward because it's something, it's, it's not enough to be able to provide it. People have to be able to access it too. Agreed 100%. That we should not be selling kidneys. Yeah, we should yes. not be selling yes. kidneys. Yes. Good plan, good plan. <laughs> there was another hand uh, here in the middle. Oh, sorry. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> Um, a lot of my work happens in rural communities, so it was really exciting to hear you speak today. Uh, and sometimes what I encounter in my work on the ground is some hesitancy. Sometimes there are folks who aren't necessarily comfortable with those interact payments or maybe haven't sent that information to an organization via email. And there's sometimes some mistrust, distrust, or lack of information. I'm wondering if digital literacy is something that has come up or is something that you can speak about. It's, it's not something I've heard a lot about, um, but I think that that would be the same in rural communities and urban communities. I mean, people are becoming more uh, cognizant of, of what they put online. You know, I, I, I did a panel when I was um, parliamentary secretary to the Minister of Democratic Institutions on cybersecurity specifically. Uh, you know, as soon as you click, I have read and, and agree. How many of you have actually read and agreed? Come on, seriously. <laughs> uh, you know, your, your information's out there. So we, we do have to be more cognizant. I think it's important, it's, a, it's imperative that every Canadian uh, <laughs> practice good cyber hygiene, as I say, and make sure that you are doing all of the things you can to protect yourself online. 
Merci. Um, in order to solve this issue, there might be you know, technological solutions, but also there's non-technical issues uh, like access to spectrum, licensing regime, competitive forces between incumbent and, uh, and newcomers in the telecommunication space. Uh, are you looking at this entire picture? Uh, yes, with, in cooperation with um, Innovation Science and Economic Development, Spectrum falls under that department. Uh, I fall under the Infrastructure Department. We are, we are working to collaboratively to make sure that there is access for people who are maybe smaller businesses, smaller I, um, ISPs, uh, you know, making sure that they are able to take part as well and that part of the Spectrum auction will allow for that. Uh, thank you for your comments. Um, as past vice president of the Communications Research Center, I can share that we did a fair amount of work in looking at technological solutions unique for rural communication because most of the technology is not developed for that application, so that's, that's a challenge, so I think it continues to be. Um, one of the things we did observe, though, is that there's an opportunity in working with large rural operators, be the mining operations, um, even the military, public safety, et cetera. So there's a significant leveraging opportunity to use those kinds of installations as sort of a hub for high-speed communication. How important is that leveraging in your conversations? Because when mines are installed, connectivity will come. That can be the hub for connectivity in and around. And that can be a shared sort of investment. How does that play in? And that, that's actually what we've done with Connect to Innovate, um, is that we have found hubs within, uh, within communities. It's not necessarily like industry. It might be we've connected things like fire departments, which are the central hub, or schools or libraries. Uh, there have been some industries that have been connected. Uh, so I think that that's, that's actually a key piece of, of the puzzle, uh, recognizing that things like the mining industry specifically that you mentioned require high-speed internet. So making sure that they have good connections means that that can be built out to the communities as well. So we do, we do see that as definitely a, a large player. So uh, thank you very much for your time today. We really appreciate, um, again, connecting on this, this perspective. Um, if, if, you know, we talked, my very first question was about the, the short amount of time that we have left um, and the ambitious things that, that, that we want to do. I think a lot of people are, are here early on a, you know, a, a rainy morning to, because they're in, interested and they're invested in this issue. So if we were to track this over the next few months and sort of, uh, sort of try to understand, like, what are the key things that we should be looking for? Like, what are the two or three things that you would identify that, like, all right, we're going to try to see some progress on, you know, X, Y, and Z between now and, and when we go to the polls? So you will see things like the Connect to Innovate program, um, which uh, the funding was announced for that a couple of years ago. It's been... Uh, allocated to communities, shovels are in the, will be in the ground, the engineering studies have been done, the plans have been laid for the first, the first tranche, basically. That's, that's the first part. Uh, developing the Rural Economic Development Strategy, which will come out um, June, <laughs> June, um, and that will also talk about what we're going to do with the Universal Broadband Fund and how we'll roll that out, how we're going to make sure that, uh, that the, the 1.7 billion that we're able to leverage that with other uh, you know, partners to make sure that we can do the, the, the most we can. Um, that'll be the next phase. Okay. Uh, thank you very much for your time. If thank you so much for having me. Thank Jordan. you. <laughs>
Interact eTransfer have made Money Mobile, taking it from the confines of traditional banking and ushering it into the digital age. As consumers adapt to new technology, so does Interact. Learn more at newsroom.interact.ca. Thank you.